Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 356th episode of Constructed Criticism. I'm your scarf host, Mason, joined by my beanie co-host, Abe. Abe, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. Do you have the beanie on? Oh, of course. It, it gets kind of cold in my room. It's mm-hmm. like probably the, the coldest room in the house, uh, especially in the winters and when it gets dark out. So I, I, I rock it most of the time. <laughs> Always there. Vigilant. <laughs> That's exciting. Well, today we're going to be talking about modern. Um, modern has kind of really flourished and done a lot. And it's been a while since we actually got to talk about that format on the show. So I was really excited to get to sit down Abe and talk about that format. But before we do that, we do need to talk about always improving. It's one of the main goals of the show. We're always trying to better ourselves and work on things. And this week, uh, my always improving moment is a little outside of magic, but it's very relatable to magic, a thing that magic taught me uh, and I'm able to apply elsewhere. So I've been playing a lot of Valorant late, lately, as Abe knows, since he's been in the trenches with me. Um, and I love Valorant. It's one of my favorite games I've ever played. And I've recently learned that the way I had my mouse sensitivity, by the way, if you don't know, Valorant's a shooter, uh, like a shooting game. My mouse sensitivity was too high, and so I had to really lower it. And right now, I feel like I'm moving a mountain every time I move my mouse, and it's so much. And I, like, keep dying and losing fights that I knew I wouldn't lose if I had my sensitivity and everything back to where it was before. But I know that long-term, that will not help me, and that I would get short-term results instead of long-term gains. And I'm really about trying to make myself the best player I can be in Valorant, and that means having to, you know maybe for the next week or so, really getting used to this. I have literally hundreds, maybe close to, you know, thousands of hours on Valorant. And so, like, for me to fix this mouse thing, it's going to take a little bit of getting used to. And I think Magic's the same way, where when you're first starting, it might seem really easy to get the easy answer or to cop out and do that sort of thing. And I'm just not letting myself do that. I'm just kind of persevering despite the frustration. You know, last night I played a bunch of Valorant, and it wasn't as fun as other games because i wasn't doing as well but i know that in the long term i'm going to do better because of this so that was my always improving moment that's a good one uh it's definitely going to help uh us win more games of valorant instead of you know me choking half the rounds which is yeah instead of carrying 80 of the round 80 percent of the rounds i will carry 84 percent of the rounds and it will be glorious yeah it's gonna be so good for our winner issue so my always improving this week uh is actually gonna be pretty awesome for the listeners to hear but i've just been spending a lot of time uh, just thinking of ways that I can be better as a podcaster. I know that I've, it, this is my only thing I've done outside of writing now, and I've done it now for, this is my third episode. And I've taken the time to like, listen to my first two, I just did it there, but I listened to my first two appearances, uh, my first two episodes <laughs> that I recorded. And I say like a lot when I'm trying to explain some things. And I've been trying to remove that from, my for my vocabulary or just for my speech pattern when I'm doing these recordings so that it's not as hard to listen to and I'm trying to make sure that I'm I've just been working on that a lot like trying to make sure I remove a lot of crutch words so that it's easier for you guys to understand what we're saying and easier to listen to and while there's still some of that and it, I think it shows in a good way that I'm thinking about what I'm saying and I'm trying to convey what might be a difficult idea for you guys I just want to you know make sure that the content is as good as it can be. So so that's that's my always improving. Yeah, I, my hot take on crutch words and podcasts is that they are a normal part of human speech for the most part. And as long as they don't like go back, like you have a bunch in a row, like you say like, 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 like you don't do things like that, then you're, it's okay. But I love that you're working on them. 
And sometimes you did do the double like in a row. So, hey, we love to hear it. That's awesome. We're glad to have you here and have you take such a concerted effort on it. Now, if only you could work on your Valorant aim like that so that you're not sewering my podcast and yeah, my no, game. It's like, really priorities. Yeah, I just don't get why, like, all my time's getting destroyed. Like, you know, and it's whatever. It's whatever. We'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> no, but that's an awesome, always improvement. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash ccmtg. I know that some people might have missed last week where we announced Abe. Sometimes, you know, you fall through behind on episodes. Um, and so Abe is the new co-host, and we are working on a new Patreon layout and things that we want to do content-wise, and we want to finalize the plans. But we want to make sure that everything is finalized, ready to go, including, like, releasing some of that stuff the moment we make the changes. So everything's going to be the same for now, but expect more activity in the discord like i'm going to start posting my deck list as i work with the SCGs all the time now um etc etc so just little things like that are going to change and if you want to support the show that's a way to do it um and one of the benefits that you get and that will be staying around is you get to ask a patreon question and this week uh we're actually recording a little bit earlier than we normally do because uh abe has some stuff coming up that he has to take care of and so i'm going to just ask abe three questions so the listeners can get to know Abe a little better. And these are things that I don't know about Abe. And so it's going to be kind of exciting. So oh, you ready, Abe? I'm, I'm so on the spot, but I'm so ready. Yeah, Abe did not know about this. I told Abe I was just going to ask him his favorite movie, but here we go. Abe, what's your favorite movie? That's the only one you knew. <laughs> what's my favorite movie? Yeah. And it can be a movie you really like. If you decide that this isn't your favorite movie in a couple weeks, the listeners will only judge you slightly for lying to them. All right. My favorite movie is Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Yeah. Uh, can I get a little bit as to why? Uh, there's a lot of memories for me associated with the movie. Like, it was shown to me pretty, pretty late after it kind of, like, peaked and was, like, a huge part of culture. Um, but I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was, I thought it was really good. I like Metric a lot. It really stuck with me, and I also don't do movies a ton, so it was one where I'm like, yeah, that's a that's a good one, and I I just liked it. I was going to say, I knew that you were not a huge movie guy, because we had talked about that a little bit, because um, I kind of thought you were going to be a movie guy, and then you just were not, and it was a little, I was a little shook, but that's cool to hear. It's funny, if you, like, think back about the Scott Pilgrim versus the World cast. Like, it's like a lot of the people that are pretty big movie stars right now, and a lot of people from the Marvel movies, which I get is like, kind of a cop-out, like, you know, you got 40-something movies, it's going to be pretty easy to get people from there. But, like, they got a lot of the mainstay actors. It's kind of crazy when you look back on it. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of familiar faces when you go back and, and rewatch it. And you're like, oh, like, they were in this movie? I'm like, wow. Alright, Abe, what's your favorite anime? My favorite anime? Yeah. My favorite anime is uh, Welcome to the Ballroom. Oh, I haven't seen that. What is? Well, give, give me the one-minute pitch. Welcome to the Ballroom? is a 24 episode one season run of this like passion project ballroom dancing sports anime okay sports manga where um you follow this kid who kind of goes from being very unpopular and like not really having a direction in his life where he just randomly stumbles into a dance studio and then just falls in love with falls in love with ballroom dance it's really very much like one of my other favorite anime, Hajime no Ippo, which is like uh, about boxing okay. in the way that it starts. So it's very similar. I really like a lot of sports anime. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
you know, it, it, it's in the same genre, but this one, it just something about taking something so weird and like, so just not exciting on the surface, you'd think. And, uh, like elevating it to this thing where suddenly you care about their like random dance recital competitions and who he's partnering with and, and all this like dramatic stuff. And you learn about the nuance of, like amateur ballroom dance is really interesting mm-hmm. to me. And in general, I really like just all sports anime because I think that as a magic player, I can really relate to caring a lot about something that someone would be like, why does like, why do you care so much about magic? Like, what is, what is this thing to you? And sports anime always captures that essence of like, Oh wow. It's so deep. And you would never know unless you were really in it. Which uh, which I get out of magic. So I, I I know you've seen ping pong the animation because I posted about watching it a little bit ago and you replied on Twitter. But we never really talked about it. where does ping pong the animation lie for you in sports anime? Because I think it might be one of my favorite animes of all time now after watching it. Ping pong the animation. I never finished it. I was watching with a group and we kind of could never oh. we could never get like to the last two episodes. Oh. So I have not finished it. It was really really good for the parts for like what I have seen. But having not completed that, that's probably just why it's not a top of oh, my list. Oh wow! Yeah, we need. I did not know you hadn't seen it. We need. I I own it now. I, I had to buy it on iTunes. It was like the only way to get it. So we need. We need to. We need to sit down and watch those last two episodes because I think those last two episodes do a lot to really encapsulate the whole story uh, and everything, especially like as a competitor and like what it means to like spend your an unreasonable some would say amount of your life on competing at something. I think it really crescendos really well. And covers that topic and everything really, really well. Um, okay, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have to do that. All right, well, I'm glad I asked that question. Oh, that statement now. That's good. All right, last question. Favorite dessert? Favorite dessert? Yep. You can have any dessert right now. It's your birthday. Don't worry about calories. What are you? What are you doing? Oh wow. So it's a hard question. I'm a big cheesecake guy myself. I'll give you some time. I also love some pumpkin pie, but cheesecake is probably one of my go tos for sure. Ice cream cake. Ice cream cake. Do you have a specific flavor or just the classic? Just the just the classic. Uh, not too much. I don't want it to be chocolate ice cream cake. I want it to be like a Carvel ice cream cake. There yeah. was this guy. It's actually really nostalgic for me because there was this guy who I think. Uh, shout out! Shout out to the Billy Buttons if he ever listens to this. But he is like a, a local legend of of magic store culture mm-hmm. in, in my scene. Kind of. He's like a, a pretty well-known guy. When I was first starting to play Magic and he was a reckless, uh, probably around, I guess he was like a reckless, like 21-year-old, he would just walk over to the TCBY down the strip from the comic book store we'd all play Magic at and buy a whole ice cream cake just because he kind of wanted to and then eat a bunch of it and be like, yeah, you guys can have like the rest or whatever, like here's some spoons. And so just something about being like the feeling of being like 13 in a comic book store playing casual magic and eating ice cream cake that a stranger bought that (laughs) (laughs) was just, yeah, it it still does it for me. It it takes me back to some really better times. Well, that's dope. Well, thank you for giving that moment to kind of get to know you a bit better in these three different areas of your life. That was super dope to do. And now we also know we have to watch ping pong, the animation soon. If you want to support the show in another way, outside of being a patron of the show, you can also go to our sponsors. We have Oasis Games. You can use code CCMTG at checkout to get 4% off every order. Use code Would That Be Good to get 15% off your first order. And that way they know that we sent you. 
and Abe, Oasis Games, has it all, and they have a really deep supply of modern cards. Normally, I see people scurrying for the SUGs, Abe, but that will no longer be your experience because no, <laughs> no cap on God, <laughs> Oasis Games ships out very quickly and has a huge supply. And so normally, like, I'm able to get my stuff by the time I leave my house for the SUG. So it's kind of dope. You can do that if you're a listener. Hey, super exciting to know that you can get your cards there and get them quickly. For the return of events, apparently there's a legacy $100,000 K thing happening in October. So that's going to be the next tournament. That's the one. So get hyped for yeah, that. Yeah, I saw, I saw that on Twitter today, actually, that they, they officially rescheduled it out of... It was supposed to be in, like, a couple months, and then they were like, that's still a May, little too soon. yeah. Yeah, it's still a little too soon, but we're we're gonna do it then. So yeah, I, I think October is probably the earliest they can get away with it. But I think that will be as long as everyone has their vaccine for the go in, it should be fine. Which is kind of dope. It's exciting to hear. It's exciting to get to say that and like really feel it and mean it. You know, a lot of times I've been like, yeah, maybe nine months from now, you know, on the show. <laughs> but uh, yeah, knowing that like yeah, in October there will be a paper magic tournament played for high stakes. You can count on it is is a really great feeling because there's just been so much time where I've not you just couldn't say that confidently. Exactly, agree. So good Oasis game to get your legacy cards. They have a wide selection. That's where I got my duels, the ones I own. Uh, you can also go to greyvikinggames.com and you can buy codes there. So this is something that I, I've gotten some feedback on that didn't quite make sense. So I'm going to try and break it down a little better here. You go there, you buy the code, which is a one-time use code that they have access to. And there are things like on the back of the promo cards, you know, when you went to pre-releases back in paper and you would enter on arena and you get like six packs or like a sealed token or like it's the same thing they do for secret layers when they give you the cosmetics. And we can go as you can go buy cards, cosmetics, that sort of stuff on there. And then you get it. And so this allows you to bypass the gym market on arena and also get things not when they're not just on sale. And you can also probably get them for cheaper than before. Like, let's say you won the Seb McKinnon art, right? That secret layer is $40. And while you do get the actual cards, if you are only an arena player and you really want that Seb McKinnon sleeve, which is beautiful, it's 12 bucks, right? And so that's a much bigger discount than the 40 And sure, maybe equal 12 if you sold all the cards and everything, but you don't have to go through the hassle of doing that. So you can go there, greatvikinggames.com, and use code CCMTG, and you also get 10% off at checkout. And that lets them know that we sent you. They sponsor the show. So that's another way you can social support. And if you're trying to bling out your arena account, hey, go off. They even have the TwitchCon sleeves, Abe. The elusive Oh, wow. Ones. Those are so hard to find. They, they are really actually impossible. I don't to find. even know what a TwitchCon looks like anymore. <laughs> well, uh, it's just a bunch of Kappas. But the Kappas are dra- uh, dragons now. A lot's happened during quarantine. I'll catch you up on it after the show. But uh, <laughs> let's move on to our main topic today talking about the modern metagame. And Abe, before we really jump into it, we were kind of talking about this a little bit pre-show, making sure that we kind of understood where we wanted to go with this episode and everything. And we kind of both came to this conclusion um, that the format right now kind of looks like the format pre-Modern Horizons era um, when it comes to decks being played. But then Uro, Field of the Dead, Mystic Sanctuary, and obviously Hogak and stuff like that oppressed the format for a while. Uh, and so these other cards that are kind of fair but weren't quite good enough to compete with, you know, the actual busted stuff, couldn't compete. And now you get to play with those cards. So Modern is so wide. There's basically just been like a year and a half of cards unbanned that you now get to toy around and play with. And so Modern's in a really exciting place. Yeah, I think we, we kind of talked about that when I came on as a guest host. We talked about the bans, but 
Mm-hmm. With the format no longer revolving around only these blue forms of inevitability, there's just so much variety in how you can choose to attack the format right now. And it's honestly really exciting. I went to look at some of the decks that had been winning on Magic Online, checking out the league results and the challenge results and the prelim results. And no lie, there's literally 75 decks in this <laughs> yeah. league dump from uh, March 9th. So if you're someone who has kind of tapped out of Modern because they were like tired of playing against Uro or just was like, oh, it's probably just terrible... Maybe reconsider. Go go do some research. See if there's something that catches your eye. I see multiple grinders just out here playing several different decks and 5-0-ing with different versions of them. Uh, so there's a lot to do. There's a lot of really powerful cards that have yet to have their their time. And right now, I think the format is kind of defined by the strategies that are really well known that have had a lot of the exploration done. But there's so much to do that it's it's really exciting. Yeah, and we'll touch on this here in a little bit after we cover some of the top decks. But really the way that, like, if I was trying to sell you on it, right? It's kind of like, it's week one modern, basically, when a new set drops. Except instead of a set, it's literally, like, I can't emphasize this enough, a year and a half of sets. It's like the the core set with Field of the Dead, Eldraine block, uh, Theros block, Ikoria. All of those cards, and then, like, Zendikar, uh, whatever this place, Kaldheim. Like, all these cards, just, like... So many of them couldn't see play at all. They weren't they just weren't good enough. Those other cards oppressed them. And now that you get to play with all of them, and it's really exciting to have so much basically power injected into the format all at one time. So Yeah, it's almost like having another Modern Horizon set since the last Modern Horizon set, which has just <laughs> like been Uro un unprinting all the cards that weren't Uro. Yeah. And so it's super exciting. And it's super cool, just to be honest. There's just so many different ways you can go with things. And I think it's probably, you know, best if we kind of talk about these top three-ish decks and then move on from there and kind of cover out what cards aren't around. And so, Abe, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel the best deck in Modern right now at this time is Green-White Company. Uh, Green-White Company was a deck that actually was able to compete during the Euro times. Uh, and while it was a fine deck, it was never quite as good as those other decks. But that sort of Heliod combo with Spike Feeder really resembling the Archangel of Thunes combos that we saw in the past... And we have the Heliod Ballista combo. Just got a couple more pieces over the last couple months. Like mainly Conclave Mentor was the big addition to the deck. And Conclave Mentor, whenever you get a counter, you put an additional. So it's like Winding Constrictor Rip for Green-White. And just that one card actually adds so much to the fair game plan of the Heliod deck. That before, I feel like you would play against these Heliod decks and you just answer the one piece, right? Like you're just guy guy and you're like, Bolt your Spike Feeder, nice deck, you know? And then like they lose or whatever. But now they can actually grind and play real games between uh, Conclave Mentor and Heliod. And I think that's just a huge addition for this deck. And it, and it really puts it at the top and puts a lot of pressure on the other decks to be able to beat it. Yeah, there's actually so much going on in why Green White Company is so good right now that has to do with also just the other decks that are doing well and are performing. In like, It's like they get to play all of these cards that are really well positioned in the metagame to like hate out other decks with half of their draws sometimes, but also they're just having this cohesive plan A on top of it of like, I'm going to put a Heliod and a Spike Feeder into play and combo kill you, or I'm going to Heliod Ballista you, which is just already on modern power level. And and I think a couple of things in Greenway Company, as you said, Conclave Mentor's a big one, because uh, it's just really good for the games where it's hard for you to combo, because they might have like Lightning Bolt, or whatever for your spike feeder, but 
it's a card that puts a pretty real roadblock up for the red decks of the format. Uh, Along with usually... the deck, main deck's Oriok Champion, which fits right yeah, exactly. into exactly. <laughs> it's so absurd that card fits their game plan, they just get to main deck it. Yeah, like, Oriok Champion is already a card that is, like, very sideboard playable. It was usually one of the better cards in human sideboard for, like, any of the Red Prowess matchups and the Shadow matchups because they have to team Rebattle Rage you or whatever to get over it because they only have black and red threats. But now you get to main deck that card, and with Heliod, which is a an impossible-to-remove permanent for the control decks that threatens lethal at all times, effectively, and can't be force of negation, is just so huge. There's, like, there's so many small things about all of their weird pieces that just play well together that, that makes their deck really cohesive. Yeah, and they get to play Collective Company and... It, the the builds kind of vary, but some people play some amount of Eldam recalls over maybe like a a uh, Oriok champion or maybe an extra Conclave mentor. So your deck can be super redundant, but it also you know in recent times there's been the the package of Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl has gone beyond just the Stone Rain new decks, and now it like gets to play in this deck. And so the deck actually also has a kind of low key busted mana engine. I don't want to call like Arbor Elf plus Utopia Sprawl busted, but it's very very powerful. And consistently having, like, four mana on turn two is something that a lot of decks in Modern just actually can't beat. Like, even if your plan is just, like, Collective Company and I hit, like, two Conclave Mentors, that's sometimes enough if you play something like a Spike Feeder next or, like, a Heliod and just give one lifelink. Like, that's really hard to beat. Yeah, and even beyond that, just Utopia Sprawl alone, when the metagame does tend to fluctuate a bit towards the more aggressive decks or the red decks, like, one of the... Things that always drove me away from Devoted Druid-esque or, like, just Mana Dork decks in the format in general was how often you would have to keep hands that were just very Birds of Paradise Noble Hierarch heavy because or, or leaning on them very heavily because your deck is all one drops and three drops. And Utopia Sprawl, if people start to play a bunch of this removal to punish your Mana Dorks, like Lava Darts or whatever, start showing up. It's not like Amulet where Sakura Tribe Scout is just worse than Grazer because it dies. Like, you can just play a Utopia Sprawl, which will always ramp you the mana, and can't be Lava Darted, which is just kind of insane sometimes. Yeah, especially because they're kind of priced into, like, if your hand is like a double Utopia Sprawl, you know, two lands and some things, you get to keep that. You get to play a three drop on turn two still, right? And your opponent's priced into, like, I gotta keep my Lava Dart hand, you know? Or I gotta keep my Bolt hand. Like, I, I this is just... This hand's medium, but I have a piece of interaction, and I need to stop that Arbor Elf, because if I let them Arbor Elf me, I might not ever catch up, even with, you know, other pieces of interaction. And now they're just kind of pincered in a spot where they can't really come back from. And, you know, all of this while playing a fair game plan. You know, it's just truly a really, really strong deck, and it's really fun, too. I've played some of it in Modern, I've really liked it, so... Yeah, it seems like it's been performing very well, too. A lot of people have been putting up good results with it. I'm, I'm curious to see how the format can try to shape up against it, but it's one of those things where because it has all of these cards that can naturally just make some games unwinnable for a lot of the decks that cover the random other things in the format, right? Like all of this all of this width to the format that we're seeing from people doing exploring and trying things out uh, makes it so there's only so many decks you can reasonably play. Like you couldn't play something that is only going to answer Greenway Company because there's just, you know, 75 decks out there that are all going to gonna try to take your lunch. For sure. And, 
and green white is just so so covered but it'll be interesting to see if fast combo decks which people haven't been able to figure out without the existence of Simeon spirit guide yet uh if those start to pop up if those have good matchups against uh against green white where they're kind of just forcing green white to combo which is not they're not particularly good at fast comboing necessarily like they can do it but a lot of their draws are like well i'll play helion and coco and like we'll see where we're at yeah or like we, we because our hand opens so strong and has such high high potential with our draw steps it can go somewhere but uh yeah that's that'll, that'll be pretty interesting yeah for sure so let's talk about a deck that kind of really punishes people and puts them on the back foot. It makes it really hard to also play those kind of, you know, uninteractive combo decks that try to spike you. And that's the Prowess deck. So you've seen Blue-Red Prowess and Mono-Red Prowess really rise up in popularity recently and be powerful players. And Blue-Red Prowess is kind of the deck du jour at the moment, or the version du jour, I should say. And that deck really plays Stormring Entity and uh, Sprite Dragon from Ikoria. And Abe, what are your kind of thoughts on Prowess? Because I, I really love this deck and I have a lot to say, but I'm kind of curious to hear what you think. I played... Prowess was the last deck that I played for a modern tournament before COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I played the black-red Prowess deck when the companions were pre-nerf uh, in the Lotus Box event, and I did like a little bit of prep for that. So I've been a huge fan of playing these like Soulscar Mage, Monastery Mentor, or Monastery Spear decks, not Monastery Mentor. Uh, I hate that card, but Monastery <laughs> Swiss Spirit X, uh, just, just to kind of put the onus on the opponent to beat me. I think that Modern has always been a format about putting the opponent on the back foot, and Mono Red just has these really great goldfishes. You kind of just play a one drop, play a Kiln Fiend, play some Anamorphoses and Lava Darts, and then they die sometimes if they choose not to interact with you. Uh, and then even if they are interacting with you, you're doing so much at once and you have so many ways to to get up a card between not needing all of your lands and having canopy lands uh, and having light up the stage and manamorphose as ways to push extra damage while also having more cardboard to work with. And so I think that, that Red Prowess is... It's just never going to go anywhere, right? Like, it's just the best aggressive deck in the format. I'm... We were talking about it before the show, but I was kind of confused why Blue Red Prowess was doing so well until we talked about uh, until we talked about Eldrazi Tron, mm-hmm. where it seems like Stormwing Entity and Sprite Dragon being threats that don't cost one, while it does cost kind of the goldfish potential of the deck a lot, adds a ton of this resilience to like removal like you can't ever reliably bolt a stormwing entity i don't think and you probably can't and you definitely can't fatal push it that's just illegal <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that that's a mash win if it happens so yeah, you know. yeah it's just not possible <laughs> yeah. so so both these decks kind of existing at the same time is interesting to me i think last time the format shook out that if you were going to play prowess you had to just be playing mono red because it was so much more important to kill the opponent quickly than to have these ways around, like, Chalice of the Void, or these ways to, like, dodge removal, because the format just stopped being about that so much, and Path was the only removal spell being played. But uh, there's there's just a lot a lot there. If you... If you have something to say about, like, why blue, I would yeah. be interested to hear that, because I, I thought you said it pretty well before, before the show. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, basically, I had this conversation with uh, X-Whale, known as Will Kruger, e-tron aficionado, 
and I was talking about uh, Blue Red Prowess, and he was talking about how the the big get is that the flyers are hard to interact with and they're evasive. So you lose out on the, like some of your goldfish potential that things like Kiln Fiend offer you, and that Bedlam Reveler kind of offers in the late game when it comes to recouping. So you, instead of having those cards, you have these flyers. And by having those, you're able to go over things like Etron, like the Green White Heliod deck we just talked about. Like we talked about them having main deck Oriok champions. So having like a Kiln Fiend, even if it's your best draw and you have a Crash Through, it's still going to absorb some amount of damage, right? And if you don't have Crash Through, it's just Stonewalled. So having those sort of things be big players in the metagame and creature decks in general just got have a lot of power and the boards get clogged up a lot. So having to not worry about having to break through the board, I think is a really important and big draw to why you should play blue red over mono red. Now, full disclosure, I I one of the two decks I own on Modo now is mono red prowess and modern. And that's I, I believe that right now, if you're not playing like a tournament and you're just playing leagues like I have been to try to get a feel for the format that everyone's so all over the place and it's so wide that I shouldn't try to focus any one thing. And so while Blue-Red might be better against the decks that are also good, I think Mono-Red is better because of the goldfish potential just to beat random stuff. Like last night, you and I, you watched me play a game of a league and we played against Naya cards or whatever. And I just turned two, played a Kiln Fiend and turned three, I went like, Mana Warfare's crashed through, Lava Dart, you're dead. You know, and it was just like, that's 20 or whatever. And so yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, right. And that's just like a thing that deck gets to do. Um, so I feel that like, well, for a tournament, I might play prow like I might play blue red prowess because I think there might be more things I want to target specific stuff. When it comes to open play with modern, which I think a lot of people experience modern that way, I think both the decks are totally well positioned and they're totally good, and they just have different strikes. You know, I think another big strength of mono red that doesn't get talked about a lot when it comes to blue red prowess and it's a little weird to me that it doesn't, is that the Monoret deck with Bedlam Reveler actually gets to play a medium game. Like, it doesn't get to grind, like, really grind, unless you're absurdly lucky with your Bedlam Revelers. But, like, having access to one Bedlam Reveler after you kind of warn your opponent who's trying to grind you on resources is really big. Like, that sort of thing can often put you back into a game that you are starting to fall behind on or allow you to burst through that land pocket you were going to hit, you know? And so... I really think that the Monterey deck has a lot of uh, merits. And honestly, I don't think if it wasn't for Heliod and Etron being like the other two best decks, I would play Monterey Prowess over Blue Red in a tournament. But I think for the moment, it makes a lot of sense to be playing Flyers. Um, we should probably talk about Etron because it's the other big deck we've mentioned so much before we kind of finish up on Prowess or anything, you know? And uh, I know you're new to the podcast, Abe, but back when Etron first came out, we love to make fun of how bad it was here on CC. And it, and it was. It was truly bad. Do you remember the old Karn Liberated days? You just had the old 7-mana Karn hanging out in your deck? Yeah, I mean, it, you got 7-mana, <laughs> you got to cast something with it. Exactly. You might as well have it for the times you randomly also spike your Tron lands. Just the Etron way. And, you know, since then, Mattery Shaper's been memed a bunch. But I really do. I don't know how you feel, but I really feel like Etron is one of the best decks right now. I think the format's really mid-rangey. I think Etron... Yeah, hit me. Sorry, I think Etron gets really memed on too hard. Like, I love to meme on Matter Shaper, but I've also registered Electrolyze, so I can't I can't talk too much. Real recognize um, real. But the the deck is just playing so many the deck is just playing so many cards that are so strong and have always been strong, like Thought Knots here and Reality Smasher, and just doing it consistently with these like powerful nut draws of having natural tron or just having double temple. 
that you you really can't discount it. It's kind of I thought of it as like since Jund has been pretty bad, just just like the whole Thoughtseize like Tarmogoyf thing hasn't been working out for a while, that the the Etron deck has kind of filled that void of being the new era of of a fair deck where where instead of being fair by casting discard spells and like removal spells and answering things kind of combination proactively reactively it just says okay well i'm going to cast chalice the void and then i'm not gonna have to spend mana like to to keep on getting ahead of you or to keep keep you from doing things because my chalice on one is going to stop you from casting your removal spells so i don't have to thought seize all of your paths you just can't cast them and then i'll cast thought knots here and I'll have my Tarmogoyf in play effectively and have taken your best thing. Or I'll just be casting like a Reality Smasher and it's just going to two for one you anyway. So it kind of has all of these positive interaction like cards. And while the worst of them is kind of funny and that you're playing this 3-2, it is a pretty annoying card to deal with. Like it's still a 3-2 for, for effect, like not effectively two mana, but it's a 3-2 for pretty cheap. And whenever it dies, you still get the card. So it's it's definitely the filler of the deck. Like Mindstone is not most impressive card either but you're playing it because you want to have more hands you can keep but all of the cards together and especially since uh karn four mana karn came out the great creator yeah ever since karn the great creator came out it just has this other powerful axis that lets it go much longer than it used to you can't really just run it out of all of its eldrazi creatures like you can't supreme verdict the deck and then like Field of Ruin their one cavern and then start cryptic commanding them out of the game. That's not that's not a thing a controller gets to do anymore. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's a huge point. I, I really want to like zone in on that because I feel like ever since they've got Karn the Great Creator, the deck has been good. And yes, there was like Lattice Lock before, and like that was a big part of it. But I think even without the Lattice Lock, Karn the Great Creator just allows you to have access to a lot of different game plans in game one. And I think you also nailed it on the head with that Etron is the new mid-range deck du jour. And it gets to be a mid-range deck that's actually good and modern. Not like Judd, where it kind of hopes its draws lined up. It just, its draws and their fail rate draws are kind of just like creatures that are big always. Not like sometimes big, not conditionally big, always big. And that's like a, a fine fail-safe plan. The card that your creator aspect of the deck just randomly shuts off decks in the format. Like, sometimes you just, like, play against Green White Heliod, and you play your Carnegie Creator, and suddenly you can't die. Like, you can deck them now, because you can get in Staring Bridge, and they can gain infinite life, but you'll they'll have less cards in the deck, and they lose, you know? Just things like that just kind of come up. And you get to do that for free, because you want a card. Like, we mean at the start, right, about Karn Liberated being the deck. You want something to use all your mana on, and Karn the Great Creator is that. It's four mana up front, but it can also be nine mana or seven mana, and it has a lot of different applications. I think that's super underrated from people. And even though they know that because the deck lost Lattice, they thought, lol, it's so bad now again. But I think that's just not true. Yeah, I think people just kind of like to... Everyone likes to meme on decks with Tron lands in them. I don't know what to say. Yeah, we found the Tron player for sure. Um, (laughs) Also, I just want to say this too. So many people love to be that person in the auditorium that like heckles and they're like, nice matter reshaper, but none of them have a good answer. They're like, okay, genius number 82, what card would you play in the deck to fix the problems that's not matter reshaper? Because this is sometimes a two mana three two that draws me a card. 
and like yeah, sometimes who, way I, better than draw a card it puts it in play so <laughs> yeah i forget who we were talking about with it but they were just saying you know if i cast matter shaper on three and karn on four what are you gonna do about it like you're gonna attack into my matter shaper let me trade with your creature and then use my karn again is this really a good spot for you are you laughing at my matter shaper that is doing its job like it's not the most exciting card but it, it it's got a place yeah for sure like you're playing your prowess deck, right? And like you're, you have a turn one swift spear, and I turn two a matter shaper off a temple. What do you, I mean, you can attack, you can kill it for sure, but it just ate a bunch of damage. Maybe it ramped me a land, right? Maybe I just drew the thought not seer, right? Because I got a card deep or whatever. Like that's pretty big. Like what are you gonna do? You're playing a random mid range deck. Like you're gonna trade cards with me. All my cards trade two for one. You know, like that. That gets undersold a lot. Um, and I think Etron's just a real player. Like I, I'm spending all this time talking about it. Because I think it does have that bad reputation. And I think for a while, rightfully deserved. But I think the moment we got Conninger Creator, it has just been a good deck to a fine deck in Modern at every point forward. It's I, definitely the deck that I think uses Conninger Creator to its fullest extent right now. I, I think yeah. that's always kind of been true. Is that because Karn is such a flexible card, and it was already a deck that didn't have use for many of its sideboard slots, really. Yeah. Like, it was just, it was just peanut butter and chocolate. They just they just go together. Like you just want to have a card that you can cast when you don't have Tron, because you won't frequently have Tron. You'll keep these hands with like one temple and two Tron pieces and go like turn two matter shaper, turn three thought not seer, and then not hit still and be like, Okay, well, I guess I'll run out this Karn, which is threatening to be like plus two cards, or and those cards are threats, or or some sort of like pithing needle or source sorcerer spyglass to to shut you down. It's just going to find me whatever card I need in this game where I'm just kind of trying to navigate with these good rate cards. Yeah, it's just, it asks, it asks a lot of you as the opponent um, to try to be able to beat that, especially in game once. Like, really game once getting access to these cyborg cards is kind of huge, right? How many times would you, like, discard three cards to just get your, you know, Tormont script, right? Like, this deck's like, hey, you only have to discard one, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I think that can't be undersold. Let's talk about modern on the whole, though, because we mentioned at the beginning, and now we've kind of laid out what the the top of the pyramid, you know, the three, the big three are when it comes to our uh, format. What kind of cards are you looking at playing? Because one of the cards that jumps out to me that I want to try to play, and I have seen a little bit of action with, but haven't seen a whole bunch, is Omnath. The four-color Omnath has proven to be kind of a card, maybe not as good as Oroonoko, but kind of put into that caliber of card. And it's just so strong when it gets rolling, so... Abe, have you seen anything with that outside of the four-color cat shells? Or have you thought uh, of that card any? I I think that that card... I've seen it show up in some of the Bring the Light decks. Some of the, like, Bring the Light Scape Shift and the, the Niv-Mizzet decks. Mm-hmm. Just because they're already playing this mana base that can support casting this four-mana spell. I'm not sure how well that card holds up. Because I think it'll have you... To use it really efficiently... It would have to be doing something like turns, right? Like the, the mm-hmm. thing that made that card really good in the in the Uro soup decks was that you just had so many things to do and so many resources, and you were just looking for another thing to cast that was another threat that wasn't Uro because eventually you get there. But I might I might be way off base on this. I, I think I think it's hard. I think that until I can think of a good reason to use the card and, and maybe you have one in your back pocket but people are using bring the light and i think that's fine but two spelling two five drops in modern just isn't what the format's about right now 
Yeah, I I think the best place that I've seen it is cat, the the copycat decks that are trying to like play those fair grindy plans and just like backdoor Felidar Guardian you, and I think it like it's hard to be a four mana card that's very hard to cast in modern. Like even with shock fetches, it's still kind of not trivial to cast your Omnath. Like you do kind of have to work for it, and its payoff is like pretty reasonable um if you get there but i think in that deck specifically you're just trying to have cards that like move through cards and having a thing that generates more mana so you can dig deeper or have something to blink off felidar or copy with sahili and you can even just like draw a card there um not the best in the world something you can do with it i think is pretty interesting and pretty powerful and i'm curious to see how it's explored there but it feels like it needs something to protect it more because you do kind of need to play it on five or accelerate it or do something to really get full effect from the card. Um, yeah, I I think it's really hard for me to... And, and maybe I'm being too pessimistic about the card, mm-hmm. but it's really hard for me to to feel optimistic about a card that's contending with, like, Jace the Mind Sculptor is a blue four mana card that we want to resolve and protect. But I do think that it can do some really busted things. Like I've, I've thought that that Sihili cat deck is unplayable. And then I've watched some matches of it and been like, okay, wow, that turn was actually really strong because they just had, they, they had these things that are usually weak in the context of the format, like maybe a little too weak to be very good. But then having this card that generates so much advantage makes it so that they can play. It, it doesn't feel like their deck is full of like one force for four. When yeah. you watch that, that, uh, Felidar deck play. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, I don't know. I I think I think it's it's close. I'm a little more interested, and this is probably I'm more boring than you when <laughs> it comes to magic cards, but I'm really interested to see how like the Stoneblade decks, how the Hive Mind gets to those. Because those have been popping up and they've been pretty popular. Everyone knows Stoneforge Mystic is a good card. Mm-hmm. And Death and Taxes has been performing pretty well. Uh, it like top eights the challenges really frequently. Won the uh, Mana Trader series. Yeah, uh, I've seen it top eight in multiples. I think twice, but I might be mixing up with something else. But that deck getting Yorion has... is pretty big. Yeah, Yorion's pretty cool. Also, just the amount of new white cards that are actually very playable that people, you know, Me like both. to say they're happy about and then complain when the next white card isn't even close to as busted. Uh. But like th- those cards have been really good. Like Skyclave Apparition is a great supporting cast. Arcana, Arcana of Maria. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That's, a, that's a big one that I think doesn't get a lot of respect outside of Legacy and stuff and Vintage. But that card's big. Yeah, um, there's just a lot of a lot of really strong rate taxation, like minor annoyance effects that add to what were the best parts of of the white decks in the format. And so, so I'm interested to see what beyond there. I know that I'm. Pr- selfishly very interested in trying to play a deck that is just a Jeskai mid-range deck or something where I get to play Snapcaster and Lightning Helix and Lightning Bolt and uh, Jeskai Blade. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I want to do a little a little little offensive stone blading, maybe a little defensive stone blading, but I, I think that the format's not right for it right now and I I've, I've just been really surprised. I, this was a card that I was really convinced when it got unbanned would make big waves in the fair control decks and while i have seen some people playing it in some people tried like abs index i think there's a mardu deck i have not seen it so much in 
blue-white decks where it's kind of soloing as a threat. I think I think a lot of people have... I've seen like the Bant Snow deck a couple times when I've played some Modern, and that deck is not a great Stoneforge deck, and I'm not sure why that is. I, I think the, the Bant Snow problem is that it lacks power outside of the card Stoneforge Mystic, and it plays a lot of pretty dinky cards and doesn't even lean into some of the strong things that the green part of the deck would offer you. And when it did with Oka, we saw it be very good. Like when Oka was your payoff along with the other stuff, like you went Birds Oka, a Hierarch Oka. Deck was great. Just a good deck on the power level of Urza and stuff like that in that format. That was pretty much proven. But now it's kind of like, why am I playing this? Okay, I have Quaddle. I guess that's a, like a kill spell and like a flash thing. I need to have flash things. So I'm trying to hold up mana. So, okay, but it's like, am I really playing green for that and to have nobles in my deck? Like, ah, this is just so yeah. so bad. They they are very dressed up with nowhere to go, right? There's yeah. like, they've got a bunch of mana dorks in their deck and these uh, coaddles to like cantrip and, and get them to a point in the game. But without without there being, you know, Uro or Omnath, or not Omnath, um, Oko to, mm-hmm. to bolster this loss of of like powerful card economy in your control deck. It's it's rough. Maybe that is a shell. Maybe the two need to need to get together and have their people talk to each other and have a little stone for Omnath party. Yeah, maybe maybe something like that. I know Alan, Zach Allen has worked uh, a lot on blue white stone blade. I know he's pretty happy where stuff are out there, so maybe that's something to check out. And you're talking about when to look at just the blue white versions of the deck. I know there's been some Mardu stone blade decks that have been interesting. Uh, you know, they, they got Season Pyromancer, which is a card that's seen play through this whole time of the bannings, but I think it's like a serious contender and it's like a big get for fair decks, especially red fair decks. Um, that card's just very good. Um, and I think another thing that's kind of big that we haven't really talked about yet that has been kind of popping up is Skyclaves or Scourge of the Skyclave. It's the new Shadow, the two mana one. I think that adds a lot to those decks. We, we saw those decks compete with the Uro stuff. And those decks were, like, playable kind of during Uro Omnath in the same deck. And it's like, wait, what? How is that possible? And they just have a lot of raw power to them. Yeah, I've seen a lot of the Jun Shadow decks. They've been they've been doing well. And I know that we were talking to, to Will Pulliam, and he said that he was going to take him for a spin. Yeah. Uh, and I, th- I, think he, I think he liked him a lot. I think that Scourge of the Skyclave, finally in a spot where people aren't just gaining three life at random intervals in most of your matches, is a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that like the Jun Shell is is better positioned. I'm I'm pretty interested in that Scourge of the Skyclave, for sure, for sure an interesting one. Do those decks still play Luris? Uh, I have seen some do and some don't. Kind of depends on what you want to have in the deck. Uh, the one that I looked at most recently did not have Luris because it had Blood Moon in the sideboard. But you could, you know, if you wanted to, uh, have. Blood Moon and Luris, you just don't get to have Luris in the games you want to Blood Moon people, which I think is not I think there's a lot of, this is like maybe a different topic for a second here, but there's a lot of like inertia or like feeling dumb about that, it's like nice deck building, idiot, you have a Blood Moon and a Luris in your deck, those don't work together and it's like, yeah, but the games where Blood Moon is good, it's the best thing I could have, I don't want to play Stone Rain, that's dumber, you know, I just won't have my Luris in those games, that's fine, because they're like Amulet Titan or these like Valakut decks and they can't win if I Blood Moon them. You know, they have to work really hard. So I don't need this grindy element. Yeah, a matchup where you want Blood Moon is not traditionally one where you also want the game to go long. You know, like Yeah. 
they're gonna they're gonna unblood moon themselves at some point and they're gonna have a billion mana or their lands are all gonna bolt your things and it's not gonna matter anymore so yeah i think there's just a lot of like oh i look dumb doing this but i think you look more dumb when your deck plays pillage instead of blood moon you know, like, yeah. like that that's way dumber, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, one, of the, one of these cards makes people complain incessantly when it's played against them, and the other one was in alliances, so... <laughs> it's really it's hard to know which one's on top there. Who, who could really say? Um, I, I Another deck I know I'm kind of talking a lot here, I think has gotten some pretty good pieces, uh, is the blue-white control decks. They've gotten Force, ne- force Negation, is really the, the big thing uh, for there, along with Teferi Time Raveler. What do you think about those decks? Have you thought anything about those? I know you're a Jess, like you were saying before, Jeskai guy, but yeah, I think the the Blight decks are pretty good. I think they're the best Force of Negation deck, and I think that there's just a lot to be said for that in a format where people are just trying to to pull one over you. I'm trying to pull one up real quick here. Yeah, no worries. I, I think I think that's pretty much on the nose. Uh, yeah, like, my biggest qualm with them is that they are leaning a lot on Path to Exile, and I think that's fine for now. I think that a lot of the threats just need to be Path to Exiled, hey. uh, either because they're they're Death Shadows or Tarmogoyfs or just big in general, but you it, if the format gets to a point where you need to have a density of removal spells, which feels like it probably will be with how much, like, burn and prowess there is, You've got to look somewhere else. Like, you can't really be showing up with Oust and be happy about your your deck. Well, listen, you know, now, now that Uro Sanctuary is gone, we can go past Snap Path again. So, counterpoint? Snapcaster Mage is pretty huge. That's something that I missed a lot in... And I noticed a lot when I was playing the Uro decks before the bands was that a lot of your redundancy was not immediate, and it, drawing one Path to Exile or one to two Path to Exile was very different than it was back when you did Snapcaster Major deck. So maybe I'm doubting how much Path Snap Path is is getting people places, but I, I mean people are winning, so maybe they know something I don't. I've just I've just never been impressed by the straight up blue white decks. Sure, I I think the for what it's worth the like Path Snap Path gameplay kind of happens a fair bit, and then you like to fairy three your thing back, you know, like. You just get to like hit them and buy back your Snapcaster Mage, and you're like, okay, you're back in this lock again, you know. And that's yeah. Snapcaster Mage, undoubtedly one of the biggest winners of the format right now. I think that Snapcaster Mage is just—it was a card that was so brought down by how much tension there was on your graveyard. Yeah. Over the last, I don't know, twelve months of the format, but Snapcaster being back is really good, and I think that if you find a good place to play Snapcaster Mage in your deck. Uh, and your deck supports it well, then it's going to be good. That's kind of like how modern has always been historically, is that if you are a control, a blue controlling deck with Snapcaster Mage, and Snapcaster Mage is performing, your deck is performing. That's fair. Are there any other cards you want to kind of explore in modern right now? I think I've hit most of the big ones for myself. There were There are a couple of decks that I think need a lot of exploration done before i can kind of know how i feel about them i think goblins is one of those there was like a hot minute where oh the yeah. goblin combo deck was like the the top of the heap and people were saying like oh ban harbinger ban whatever do, do you know what the goblin problem is is it plague engineer it's well that card's a problem it's prowess 
So the, the Goblin Prowess matchup is apparently atrocious to the point where Goblins players play Chalice in their sideboard to beat Prowess. Wow. Yeah. I, I know this because I've been Chaliced a bunch and still beat them. <laughs> that's really that's really funny to me because I remember there was this point where I was really... It was around Hogak era, and I was just like really not enjoying modern but i had to prepare for it for the scgs and i was like you know what i'm gonna take some time and just like explore an archetype that i think is cool i've got this long history of really liking playing goblins decks even in legacy and i'm going to like take them for a spin and the only deck i could consistently beat was prowess because in the deck that in the sideboard that i built for my black red goblins deck i would just always play like three to four collective brutality and that card just ruins prowess. Oh, uh, you see, this this is where the, the prowess differential is coming in earlier we talked about, too. So blue-red prowess has Stormwing Entity and the dragon, and the dragon stays bigger. Right? So like, you can actually outgrow the collective brutalities. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's another reason for uh for blue-red over over mono-red, too, is that you dodged people like me who are looking for kitchen finks around every corner to try to fix their red matchups. Yeah, exactly. It, it's pretty big. It's pretty big. Uh, yeah, that, that that's a deck that is very interesting. If they can figure out the prowess matchup, it would be, I think, a real player. Uh, although it does have a Heliod problem, too, that Heliod, like, you know, gains infinite life to their infinite damage, which is, I assume... Oh, yeah, I guess that I favors think... damage, right? Because eventually you have to stop. Yeah, eventually the life game player has to stop gaining life, but I, I think that, I don't know who gets in trouble there. I think that probably the deck presenting infinite damage is favored there. I think that's how it works. I forget. I think there's been a ruling for, like or like this, like, urban legend of of a match where it's like the infinite against the infinite, and it's like, who can actually, oh no, it's the, that was a goblin game beating thing. It's like, who can think of a bigger number? You're uh, <laughs> Sure. Like, if I can think of a bigger number of damage, then you can gain life right now. But yeah, no, I think it depends cool. on the situation. Sorry to derail you there. What else, what else, is it, what else are you thinking about? Uh, Amulet Titan? Can we talk about Amulet Titan? They lost Field of the Dead. I have to work again. <laughs> yeah, here. here. Let, let me, let, let's rapid fire down, like, three or four decks, and, and you give me your hot takes. All right. Hit me. So, Amulet Titan. Good. Got to figure out what the new backup plan is. We lost Field of the Dead. We have to really think. Okay. Hammer time. Good, bad against Heliod, bad against Prowess, bad against Etron, good against everything else. Uh, <laughs> Dredge. Lol Nyazu, next. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, D- D- Dredge is, like, not good. It's just, like, totally medium. It's, like, not bad, but it's not good. Uh, Yawgmoth. Potential, we need someone to work on who's smart. That deck probably benefited a lot from the last year and a half of cards i mentioned and no one who's like really really working on the deck you know we need people to really work on it because it looks the yeah. same as when aaron barrage left us to go to play legends of runeterra yeah i was <laughs> gonna say that it's an aaron barrage passion project yeah but it's also put up like a good amount of results i know the boss has played it a little bit but it hasn't really done anything yeah. but it seems like it's strong like it seems like, is such a powerful card. That was like one of the better cards I played in, in my zombie brew I talked about a couple episodes ago. Yeah, it it is really good. But it needs a lot of work. And you get to play like Young Wolves and stuff. But uh, yeah, that, I think that deck's probably one good like tutory thing or thing to use as a tutor, like enabler for that deck from being really strong. And how about Mill? Ooh, 
hot take. I think Mill loses a lot from the blue soupy decks not being the main decks. I think the fact that everyone had a hard time killing you was Mill's biggest strength, not like that it got new cards. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure I'm winning many many drag races with my Mill deck. Yeah. Uh, I got I got a couple for you. You ready? Yeah. Right. Infect. I think Infect has to be unplayable. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. It does. It does not seem very. You very... just. There's lava darts everywhere. People are gaining infinite life, which doesn't affect you that much. But then they also can just block you forever. It, it maybe Bladed Agent's the answer, but things like Walking Blast and stuff, man, like Ranger Vios, they, they they get around. Inverter. No way. I love Inverter, Death and Pioneer, but that can't be good enough. It's it's probably just a worse version of playing the the Sahili Feldar decks. Sure, that's fair. Last one. This is for the money. Tribal decks. Elementals, humans, spirits. What do we got? Slivers. Tribal decks. I think that if your tribe is weird, you are probably going to have a lot of fun, but it's not going to be great. I think Slivers is the closest. I think Elementals isn't very close at all. Unless you're doing something wild, comboing with... Risen uh, Reef? Bah, 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 bah. Comboing with... <laughs> Like Steamkin and Risen Reef or something. Like, yeah, I I don't even know. You you would have to have a bigger brain than I to figure out what to be doing with Elementals. That's really good. That deck has has like it's like only Smoke Braider and Aetherfile the good cards in that deck. That's um, so true. <laughs> as for humans and spirits, I think that they are going to have the huge problem of green-white, but are probably actually pretty okay against everything else. I know that I've liked humans against Etron periodically. Uh, it's like, it's a close matchup. I think against just straight-up blue-white without the additional removal spells, your meddling mages go a really long way, because you can just name Path to Exile and then make it a 3-3, and suddenly you can attack with impunity. Your second one named Supreme Verdict or whatever the sweeper is that people are playing. Like mm-hmm. there's a path to victory if you're practicing the matchup as a humans player. And that deck has a fast enough proactive clock. But I think there's not enough combo to be disrupting that your cards line up as well as they, they did two or three years ago. That's fair. One last one we've kind of forgot to mention that's really big actually is Oops. Oops all spells. Oops all spells. What do you think about that one? I think that enough of the decks in the format right now are either straight racing you or playing interaction for you that you probably can't do it. Sure. All right. That's fair. Abe, if you How about to... you? Huh? You, you sound like you disagree. No, I, I don't. I just don't have any strong feelings. I think the deck's oh. probably eh. Like, it's probably very beatable. It doesn't seem That's like That's one I might spend time on, actually. I just like, I like the idea of veltering people. <laughs> yeah, okay. I do not. That's weird to me that you said that you're like you like better cards whatever early in the episode of Stoneforge Mystic, you know, and then I get like I just like Belcher. <laughs> it's I mean, just so weird. I, I like to do certain things to win. I like to do certain things for fun. And activating Goblin Char Belcher is a fun thing to do. I'm just gonna crash through with my killing fiends, man. I'm just grinding. I'm just playing that, leagues. That's just gar- that's just Goblin Char Belcher a different way. All decks are Goblin Charbelcher a different way if you really get down to it. <laughs> what Goblin Car- Charbelcher division or vision of winning would you pick if you had to play right now? Yeah, cool. uh, if I had to play a, a modern tournament tomorrow, I'd be playing Etron. Right, word. I think I would play Green White Company, even with people targeting me. It's just so good. It's so powerful. It 
it's absurd. <laughs> it I haven't. Really I just haven't played green white much, and I my DPI is not high enough. My my sense isn't high enough to get through all those clicks. Yeah, the I'm trick is, is you just off. need to like not die with the damage, you know, and then like get the healer out, and this is twenty clicks. A lot of safe yeah, targets. For real, though, I think that Etron is a deck that if you don't have a lot of time, but you want to like play a challenge or something and be seriously competitive, spend time looking at other decks, spend time understanding the mulligan range of your deck, and like look at some hands, shuffle it up, and just draw them, and like think if you would keep a mulligan, share them with people that you know and trust, and talk about why you would or would not keep. And and I think that's a deck where you can really get a lot farther like people who have had a lot of success with it just know what a keep and what a ship looks like and i i've done a lot of playing etron over over the years and so i'd be very comfortable with it which is why i pick it sure it's fair it sounds like you made a lot of mistakes over the years all right well uh, i would <laughs> love to keep talking about modern such a fun format so much so many decks i mean really we, we could have talked about a lot a lot a lot of decks here we didn't cover all of them i mean 75 decks a deck dump there's gonna be a bunch should get out there and play modern. It's really exciting. It's pretty cheap right now on Moto as well compared to, to the pre-times with the Uro and whatnot. But Abe, if someone wants to reach out to you and talk about their modern deck or anything in general, where can they go? Uh, they can find me at twitter.com slash more nothings. If you want to find me, you go to twitter.com at Mason E. Clark. You can find me at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. Same for YouTube. And find me each and every Thursday at cardkingdom.com slash blog where I talk about various decks in the format. It should be pretty exciting doing the standard tier list this week. Poggers. All right, well, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Constructed Criticism. We'll see you all next week for another episode.